And it's Romans chapter 8, verse 24 through 32. Sorry, it takes me a little bit, but be able to get there. Okay, Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading verse 24 through 32. And please follow along as I read, starting in chapter 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the spear also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth it gives to us. Thank you, Lord, for just providing both the teaching and understanding more about who you are and the plan that you have for our lives. Help us to respond to circumstances, to trials, to difficulties, to blessings in a way which would honor you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, give us insight, give us preparation, the determination to live and to respond when difficult times come into our lives in a manner pleasing to you. Our natural desire is to respond fleshly, humanly, to be angry, to be bitter, to... Be frustrated, but Lord, give us patience. Help us to submit our will to yours. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. As we look this morning, that blessed hope found in Romans chapter 8, verses 24 to 32, the blessing that is from God. Sometimes we pray God's blessing on our lives, and uh, that would be interpreted by some, Lord, give me more material things. Uh, We believe that, uh, you know, if you give me good health, if you give me money, if you give, you know, our large congregation, if you give me a new car, sports car, red, two-door, convertible, you know, if you give me these things, you know, the, the big uh, hunt, you know, as far as the mount, the trophy, if you give me these things, then I'll be happy, you know, and I know that I'm blessed by God. But that is not what is referring to in this passage. And there are ways that God blesses us that are not seen as always material blessings. And Romans 8, 24 to 32 is an exhortation that Paul gives to the people of Rome to be strengthened. He tells them that they must remember that they will be glorified with God. So he gives that blessed hope, the end result. But first, you must suffer with him. If you look at Romans chapter 8, verse 18, uh, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of God which shall be revealed in us. What was taking place there is the difficulty, the challenges, the sufferings 
and they must suffer first with him. And these sufferings are the, often, the, for us, it's the daily trials that we face here on earth. We weren't going through as many difficult times as they were, but we still face difficult challenges and trials and the circumstances that will test our faith. But we must remember that we have a future hope. God gives us some reminders that encourage us to remember that hope. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look about nine of these that will be reminders to us of what God gives us. So the first thing we want to look at as we look at the passage in verse 24, if you look at chapter 8, verse 24, it says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Hope here isn't just, oh, I hope it'll come to pass. It's a future promise that has not been fulfilled, and they call it the hope. And God gives us a future. See, Christians possess salvation. The fact that you are forgiven, that you have a, a promise of a home in heaven, that you have forgiveness of sins, a right relationship before God. Nevertheless, we must ex display hope because even though Christ has died for our sins, we are not removed from this earth. The love for, uh, that God has for his people is so great that really it talks about in the high priestly prayer, Father, I pray that you might keep them in this world. Well, why? Imagine trying to keep a five-year-old away from, uh, you know, you're going to Disney World. Okay, but we're just going to sit outside and look at it from the outside. They get that they're going to want to go in. You know, you give to someone, okay, or, you know, we can use anyone. You could say, okay, here's ice cream, but you can look at it, you can't have any. Chocolate, use whatever you want to use. You have this beautiful, um, picturesque beach, you know, but we're not going to enjoy it. We're just going to walk around and, and, and not um, partake in it. You can't go in the water swimming. But he gives us that hope, and there's that expectant and patient waiting. And for the believer, our hope is in heaven. Too often as believers, we just think, oh, heaven is this place. Well, it's mysterious to us. You know, each person's going to play a harp, you know, and, and wear these robes. And we have this mystical idea of what it's going to be. But you've got to understand that there is great joy, and it's more than, oh, what are we going to do forever and ever, our concept. You know, I get bored just sitting around. You know, you, we wonder. But this is a a future that God gives us that is going to be better and beyond what we have ever imagined. And looking in confidence for what we cannot see, he says, hope, this hope is going to come, but you've got to wait. It's in the future. And although we secure our eternal salvation, our eternal life, at the time we enter into a relationship with, with Christ, when we confess our sins, realize that we're a sinner and ask him to come into our life and save us and place our faith and trust in what he has done, for our salvation, it says that there's an element of incompleteness that causes us to look forward. And humanly speaking, we're always thinking about what's next. You know, maybe some of you might be thinking, I wonder what's for lunch. You know, you might be thinking, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen when I graduate? What happens when I get married? What happens when I retire? We're always looking forward. But ultimately, as believers in Christ, God gives us a future. There's something to look forward to. Second thing God gives us as we look at this, uh, God helps us endure. If you think about endure, and I'm um, going to give this illustration, and if you're blonde, I apologize. It's just what was written here. It says, um, an elderly blonde lived on a small farm in Canada just yards away from the North Dakota border. Their land had been the subject of a minor dispute between the United States and Canada for years. The now-widowed blonde lived on the farm with her son and three grandchildren. One day her son came into her 
there, her room, holding a letter. It says, I just got some news, Mom, he said. The government has come up with an agreement with the people in Washington. They've decided that our land is really part of the United States. We have the right to approve or disapprove of the agreement. What do you think? What do I think, his blonde mother said. Sign it. Call them right now and tell them we accept. I don't think I could stand another one of those Canadian winters. Those of you who live in the north and understand about snow, you know what it's, what it's talking about. But the whole point here is that enduring. You know, if you've lived in a place where it's cold, all you can think about, oh, boy, I can't wait until spring comes. You have to look forward to it. In, in Arizona, it's a little different for us because what do we wait for? Right, what's going on? The weather right now, get past the heat, the 115, the 120. It's like, oh, I've had enough. And then you come, you wake up, oh, it's cold. You can open your window. You know, you can go outside and, uh, you know, just enjoy the cooler weather. And we look forward to that. But to endure, and when it comes to endurance, there's always something to come. And as you think about the future, but enduring is not easy because it means that you have to go through something. And here, as it talks about in verse 25, it says that, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Persevere. And there's a need for that earnest waiting. We must wait for it with patient fortitude. As I used an illustration before, some of you don't like to wait. And if you say, oh, I like to wait, okay, let me put you in traffic at downtown at the stack at about uh, 5.30, okay? And just say, okay, just wait here. Take your time. Let everyone who wants to cut through, you know, you learn about patience in the traffic. And then we could go to other places. But to... Um, have that patient fortitude, even 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 8. We must show an attitude of patient endurance, especially during trials, because trials are difficult. And if we understand the concept of trials, they aren't just to bother us. You know, if we could just put a trial, say, oh, you know what, that person bothered me, I want them to have this trial. Wouldn't that be fun? We'd push the button and say, hey, guess what? Now they have to go through it. They have the flat tire. They have to go through this, this difficulty. They have to be embarrassed or, or challenged. But to endure, and when we go through it, it is a shaping of our character. It is a molding of who we are and helping us to become more Christ-like. And the desire is not to complete it as quickly as possible, even though we want it to be done with, but is to help us to respond in a way and to learn what God would have for us. Sometimes it's that to learn patience. Those people say, oh, you know, I'm praying for patience. Oh, you are in trouble because, you know, what takes place? You know, everything and uh, to teach you patience or, or long-suffering, long-suffering, dealing with people. You know, patience isn't bad, dealing with people. Oh, you know, now it's, it's a difficult because people don't respond the way you want them to and you get frustrated. But endurance, to have the ability to hold up because we possess that great hope and we can do that when when we are faced with those difficulties, to endure in a way which would honor God. But not only God helps us to endure, but also God gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't just some mystical thing. It's a person, and a third person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit, as it says in here, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Remember, Jesus Christ left and said, I must go away so that I and my Father can send the Holy Spirit to you as a, an encouragement. 
And uh, it reminds me of the boy who, um, who came home and his mother asked him what was the message about. He said, don't worry, you'll get your blanket. He says, what? He says, the preacher said, don't worry, you'll get your blanket. So finally he went back and asked the preacher later, what, what was the message you said? Oh, I said, don't worry, your co- the comforter will come. <laughs> but uh, the Holy Spirit is one who joins to help us bear the burden in our weaknesses, our advocate and encourager and the Holy Spirit who interacts. And the Holy Spirit is a powerful advocate. And we must never forget the power of prayer that God has provided us with. And the Spirit intercedes on our behalf through unspoken or our heart-to-heart communications. And we don't always know how or what to pray for God's will to pass. Maybe you've been in that situation. And maybe you've had even a child who wasn't living for the Lord, and you, you're like, oh, wow, what do I do? Because I want the child to be blessed, but I also want the child to understand that they're in a, in a, not in a right position before God. And sometimes we're the ones who protect them, but we, we need to allow God to work out his perfect will and pray. And the Holy Spirit does know, and he helps us to pray. If you hold your spot and go to Jude 1, 20 and 21, right before Revelation, you get to the small book of Jude. And in the book of Jude, it says, and there are no chapters, it says Jude 1, 20 and 21. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life and praying in the Holy Spirit and the will. And as the Holy Spirit helps bring to remembrance and remind us and uh, to be the advocate of how to respond in a way. We have help, and God gives us the Holy Spirit. And it's important for us to use that resources because there's those of us who go through life and thinking that we can all do it on our own. But the Holy Spirit is the one resource that we need to draw upon to help us as we read through the Word of God, to help us to understand it, enlighten us, to help us respond in a way to others and in the difficulties. The fourth thing we look at is, is in verse 27, going back to Romans chapter 8, verse 27, it says, Now he who searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Searches the mind and knows. Holy Spirit. But God knows our situation. And we might think that, oh, you know what, there's no one else who knows, but God knows our situation. Now there's an illustration that talks about a mother and a baby camel are talking one day when the baby camel asks, Mom, why have I got these huge three-toed feet? The mother replies, Well, son, when we trek across the desert, your toes will help you to stay on top of the soft sand. Okay, said the son camel. A few minutes later, the son baby camel asks, Mom, why have I got these great big long eyelashes? They are there to keep the sand out of your eyes on the trips through the desert says the mother. Well, thank you, replies the son. After a short while, the son returns and asks, Mom, why have I got these great big humps on my back? The mother, now a little impatient with the baby camel, says, they are there to help us store water for long treks across the desert so that we can go without drinking for long periods. That's great, Mom. So we have these huge feet to stop us from sinking and long eyelashes to keep the sand out of our eyes and these humps to help us store water. But Mom, yes, son, says the mother, why in the world are we at the San Diego Zoo? Every situation, you might wonder, why are we here? What is going to take place? And that's what the beautiful thing is that 
God knows our situation. And that gives us reassurance. That gives us both a comfort but an understanding that God searches and knows our hearts. He knows us personally better than anyone could imagine. And there's positive and negative because if God knows everything we're going through, there's encouragement there, but also he knows our hearts and searches the deep things that should also cause us to be convicted, to know how is our relationship with him. And although Satan wants to see us destroyed, Christ defends us from those accusations that he brings against us uh, and allows our prayers and petitions to be effective before a holy God. And we must live in a manner that places a high priority on our personal relationship with God so as not to disrupt our fellowship with him. And it's important for us to confess our sins, to demonstrate faith and hope, and in every situation that we're faced with, to know that God is there because he knows what is going on. It's not a surprise to God. And sometimes when we read in the Bible, oh, God changed his mind. It's not like we pray and God changes his mind. That doesn't occur. God knows what is taking place, and he uses us and our response to that to teach us, to guide us, to help us, and that God is in control of the situation. When it says God repented and changed his mind in the Bible, sometimes we think, oh, I can change God's mind and make him. Well, no, what occurs is from the human perspective, it sees, oh, wait a second, God is going this direction, now he's going to this direction. It's not like we have a God that we can control, like a joystick or, or they don't use joysticks anymore, you know, a hand controller or, you know, with Google, uh, as we look at, you know, the VR, virtual reality. But it's God is the one who is using us and responds and understands to help us respond in these ways. Maybe to pray in a situation where we might not pray because so often we just depend upon ourselves. But the next thing we see is not only does he know our situation, in verse 28, God has a plan. And in 28 it says that we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to those who are called according to, not our purpose, his purpose. And God has a plan. And we must understand that we are instruments that God uses to carry out his divine plan. <coughs> However, we're not robots. <coughs> We respond in a way that reflects our personality and character, but ultimately he doesn't need us. But yet, by his grace, we are used to glorify God in circumstances. He uses us. And this t includes time of great joy, but also time of great sorrow, as we even heard in the testimony. There are people that Pastor Nathan has met, his wife have met, that he would never have met in Minnesota, but by bringing him to Scottsdale, Arizona, and being able to interact with people. God all had a plan in this. And sometimes we think, God, what are you doing? Why am I here? Why am I isolated? Don't you care about what is going on in my life? But he does. And God has a plan in that. And that should provide us reassurance because we must remember that we may not always understand his will, but there is great blessing when we obey it. We must also understand that this verse does not promise uh, worldly prosperity and physical health. All things work together for good. They stop there. People read that and stop there. That means that everything that happens to me is going to be good. Oh, I get the good things. So get out of my way. I get the dessert. You know, you can, you know, brother and sister, you can have the bad one, the good one's for me. You know, I get the big cookie. I get this. What is good, it comes to me. And so we look at it and think of it as a selfish life. But that's not how God operates. All things work together for good. Who decides what is good. 
to them that are called. And it says, according to the will of God. It is God who is the one who decides this. And we must understand that good is defined by God. And what he gives to help the believer possess a stronger faith and a greater hope while fulfilling the purpose that God has for him here on earth. He gives us what we need according to his plan. Next thing we see is that God is in control and that we know and understand, but God is in control. Verse 29 and 30 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. As we think about control, you know, wanting to be in control, sometimes we want to be in control of our kids. And uh, realizing that, guess what, we don't always have control of our kids. Sometimes there's the kids who's running around in the grocery store, and as they grow older and the teenagers, you try to put some control on them. Reminds me of the story of little Zachary. Little Zachary was doing very badly in math. Yes, Brian, you can relate to this. But his parents tried everything. Well, tutors, mentors, math cards, special learning centers, and sure, everything they could think of to help was math. Finally, as a last-ditch effort, they took Zachary down and enrolled him in the local Catholic school. After the first day, little Zachary came home with a very serious look on his face. He didn't even kiss his mother hello. Instead, he went straight to his room and started studying. Books and papers were spread out all over the room, and little Zachary was hard at work. His mother was amazed. She called him down to dinner. To her shock, the, the minute he was done eating, he marched back to his room without a word, and in no time he was back hitting the books as hard as before. This went on for some time, day after day, while the mother tried to understand what made all the difference. Finally, little Zachary brought home his report card. He quietly laid it on the table, went up to his room, and hit the books. With great trepidation, his mom looked at it, and with her great surprise, little Zachary had an A in math. She could no longer contain her curiosity. She went to the room and said, Son, what is it? Was it the nuns? Was it the teachers? Was it um, the, uh, w the discipline, the structure? Zachary kept on shaking his head, No. Was it the, the uniforms, the classroom? What was it already? Finally, little Zachary looked at her and said, Well, on the first day of school, when I saw that guy nailed to the plus sign, I knew they weren't fooling around. Never know what's in control. And Brian just doesn't like math, so it's not as good. But, but understand, you know, what, will, what takes the control? You, you, we don't realize what God can use in our lives to direct. But here, we look at the fact that God is in control, and specifically with the individual believers. He points out that it is God's great, in God's grace he foreknew. He knew us before the foundation of the earth, as it talks about in 1 Peter 1, 20, Ephesians 1, 4. And predestined, selected us to follow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. The first to receive, who was, he, Jesus Christ was the first to receive the glorified body. We are called, brought us to himself, justified, declared righteous, and glorified. From God's viewpoint, our glorification in heaven is as already settled. There is no condemnation or punishment that can be carried out as a result of our past sins. Let me just tell you this morning, there's nothing that has occurred in the past. If you have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there's nothing in the past that can prevent you from a home in heaven if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
I've met friends in the medical field, in the um, operating room, who've said, you know, I won't step into church because the, the ceiling will fall down or, you know, the things that I've done. But yet, we understand that God is in control and there's no condemnation or punishment that can be carried out as a result of our past sins. Jesus Christ has completed the work that has enabled us to be glorified in heaven because it doesn't depend upon us. God is in control. Next thing we see is that God is with us as we move along. God is with us. We're coming up into Christmas, the incarnation, where we, uh, we understand that Emmanuel, God with us, it indicates the presence and resource of a power far beyond our own. It says in verse 31, and uh, says, what are we to say then about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who can be against us? God is with us. And sometimes that's all we need to understand. But it indicates the presence and resource of a power far beyond our own. This can be seen as a strength from the one who is on our side. If you think about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, which have want. I always thought that was unusual because I shall not want. Why, why don't I want him? but I shall not have need. He makes me lie down. And in the picture you always see as, as you're going through the shadow of darkness, you're going through a time when you're fearful, and quoting Psalm 23. Maybe it's a dangerous place. Maybe it's a place in your life where it's difficult. Maybe it, you're going through the western part of Chicago where it's difficult. But, you know, maybe you're all alone and uh, fearful, and you quote that. But it's, it demonstrates, hey, God is with us, the positive picture of it. But it also represents the strength to protect us from those who want to harm us from outside. Because as it looks at that, it says, the one who protects us, the Lord is my shepherd. He is with me. And those pictures of one who will fight against me, the advocate. In Psalm 27, 1, the protector. And Christ coming to earth provided Emmanuel. And what Jesus Christ in coming to earth, it defies the skeptic who only trusts in empirical evidence and cannot explain the unexplainable in Jesus Christ. First of all, how did Jesus Christ, how was he born and remained sinless? A virgin birth and then his death. But not only did he, did he die, he rose again. And he's still living and it defies explanation. And secular humanism seeks all measured and identifiable phenomena to fit within the framework of secular science and knowledge. However, there's things in life that cannot be explained. And it cannot explain or confine a God who is not limited by his physical creation. Within often he works. God works within the framework. He uses the mundane, the ordinary. Sometimes it might be, oh, I need money for college or I need money for this. And then all of a sudden you get that rebate check from your insurance or something happens. And we look at it. Some people say, oh, it's just coincidence. But God uses those instances to reaffirm who he is and he uses natural resources i've said it before about the you know the child who goes to the the bank you know if god gives gives money to um us it doesn't it's not like a, god signs a check by god because if we took that bank to the check took that check to the bank get the words right they'd say god doesn't have an account here but god uses means within the framework of his creation to demonstrate that he is god but the skeptic others who say, oh, it wasn't God, it was just coincidence. But yet God also works beyond the framework of his creation. And science cannot explain those who are miraculously healed. 
people who are inexplicably protected or acts of love that are contrary to natural behavior. The God who is with us blesses us far beyond what we can imagine. God is with us. Who can be against us? Number eight, we look at God has blessed us with enough. Sometimes the prayers, I just pray for enough. Enough that uh, you will have enough so that you won't be in need, but not too much because then you'll, you'll forget God. But verse 32, as it says, he did not even spare his own son. He offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Talking about he's giving us salvation, but also he's giving us everything we need. As we look at uh, going in 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4, everything we need for life and godliness to sustain us, to help us through those difficulties, trials in life. He doesn't, didn't just send Jesus Christ, say, oh, you're saved, and then he left us, and not to help us, to give us what we need to make it through the daily, the mundane, the difficult trials, the circumstances. God has blessed us with enough, and he's given us Jesus Christ. First of all, that's the greatest blessing of all. But in the Son, we find blessing for eternal life. But he's blessed us with enough so that we are can honor him through our lives in response to whatever occurs to us and the life that is to come, the present pursuit of godly living as we wait for that future home in heaven. God will freely give us all we need to live a life that is pleasing to him and that honors him. And it's important for us to learn the true blessings that are found when we trust in our Savior and obey his plan for our lives rather than to seek out our own desires. And that's the hard thing because ultimately it comes down to pride and submission. It's not wrong to plan our lives out, but we must also commit our way to God and to pray about, is this clear? What would you have me to do? How can I honor you through what I'm taking, what is going on? Both with our resources, finances, but also through our time and through our priorities. God has blessed us with enough. And then the final blessing, as we look in, in the book of Romans, if you go down to Romans 8, 38 and 39, beautiful passage, and let me just read that. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor anything created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. True victory is found in in the peace that comes from Jesus, our Savior. To know his love and possess a spiritual relationship with God brings fulfillment that cannot be found in anyone or anything else. It gives purpose. It gives peace and security from the knowledge that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus truly blessed until that hope comes of being in his presence. Peace of knowing that if I'm not here tomorrow, I am, that's okay, because I would be in the presence of God. Knowing that whatever trial or difficulty you're facing, tomorrow will come, or it may not. But guess what? God is in control. God is with us. He's given us just enough. You can endure with his help. He's given us a future because guess what? This will not last. He's given us the Holy Spirit, a resource, and he knows what is going on because he has a plan. True victory is found in that, and even the picture of looking at that victory, 
most of us want to win, but to understand that who is on our side, and he, Paul uses that picture, that true victory is found in the peace that comes from Jesus, our Savior. Shall we pray?